Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies, the bloodthirsty and the deceitful. You, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house in reverence I bow down towards your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that uh, those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favour as a shield, as with a shield. Well, thanks, Luke. And uh, good evening, uh, everyone. Uh, it's good to be with you here in Carlton. Uh, hello to uh, particularly to you at uh, Parkville, um, but also everybody else online with us this evening. I wonder how are you going with growing into Psalm 34? We were here with us last week. Uh, Peter Adam gave us the image of uh, hand-me-down clothes that you get that are too big for you, and you've got to wait to grow into them. And uh, we were offered Psalm 34 as a psalm to grow into this experience of praising God. And so if in this last week uh, you've had experience of, uh, of blessing, you're able to name times of blessing, and perhaps an experience of being delivered by God, some sort of miraculous rescue, then I hope that you've had the opportunity to give voice uh, to that experience, to encourage one another with praise, to exalt uh, in God. But what if you can't? What do you do with Psalm 34 when your experience hasn't given you anything to be praiseworthy, to, to, to be thankful for. To put it more bluntly, how can we praise God when it doesn't seem that God is praiseworthy? 10 days into 2021, perhaps things don't seem that much different uh, to last year, the year that must not be named. <laughs> if you're in lockdown in Brisbane or in the UK, if you're a Victorian in exile, stuck on the wrong side of the Murray River, then perhaps praising God feels like too much to ask today. Of course, we woke this morning to the news that a family has lost their lives in a house fire in Glen Waverley, of a passenger plane crash in Indonesia, and no doubt there are other sins and griefs that we each bear, whether today or in the days, weeks, months ahead. So how do you pray when your experience doesn't provide you with grounds for praise? Psalm 5 verse 1 
describes this psalm as a lament. Uh, The dictionary definition of lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It's a nice connection here with Psalm 34. Do you remember the word exalt means to praise extravagantly? Or in Peter Adams' translation, to rave about. Well, in parallel, perhaps we'd say that lament means to wail over, to cry out. Peter quoted C.S. Lewis uh, saying that praise that is not expressed is not fulfilled. And so perhaps in parallel, we might say that that, uh, lament or grief and sorrow that is not expressed either hardens into bitterness or corrodes into faithlessness. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, cast all your anxieties upon God because he cares for you. And the people of Israel, they they believed that promise. They believed that God cared for them and so they poured out their anxieties. They they lamented, they, they wailed and cried out to God because they knew that he cared for them. And of course, what Old Covenant believers knew by promise, we have confirmed for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And we look to his life and death and resurrection and the promise of his return, and we know God cares for us. So brothers and sisters, we can cast all our anxieties upon him. We can lament, wail, cry out, He cares for us. But but perhaps before we're ready to add Psalm 5 to our spiritual wardrobe to to put on at different times during this year, there's there's an obstacle to deal with. That's this, that like so many of the Psalms, Psalm 5 does get quite uncomfortably judgy in the middle there, yeah? What do we do with prayers for God to pour out his anger and judgment on our enemies? Maybe rather than a set of clothes that's too big for us, Psalm 5 feels a bit like an old scratchy jumper with an offensive slogan on the front and it sort of smells of mothballs, yeah? What do we do with the, the us and them rhetoric? There in verses four through seven. There's evil people, the arrogant, those who do wrong. On the one hand, God hates them. But then there's us, the righteous, on the other. Not only does it sound like sort of extreme othering, which just serves to sort of enhance the the differences uh, between people, But as Christians, we know that that we are counted on the side of the evil. Do you remember when you read Romans, when Paul describes the sinfulness of all human beings? In Romans chapter 3, verse 13, he quotes from Psalm 5, verse 9. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. This is a description of the whole world who are held accountable to God, and that includes us. 
So even the finger pointing feels unchristian. And then to point the finger in such an unforgiving way, that feels like a bridge too far. What do we do with verse 10? Declare them guilty, O God. Banish them for their many sins. How how can we pray that at the same time as live in light of Jesus' words? Jesus, when he hung on the cross in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus' words to us in Luke 6, verses 27 to 28. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. These are not small problems. There are at least some things that we can take note of that will help us at least to iron out some of these bumps. And the first is to remember that the Psalms are they're, they're a response to specific experiences that God's people are going through. Remember, Psalm 34 was a response of prayer to an experience of miraculous rescue, of deliverance. Here in Psalm 5, we're offered a response to a specific experience of being lied about. Do you see there in verse 6? People are telling lies. They are bloodthirsty and deceitful. Verse 9, you can't trust anything that they say. Their hearts are full of malice, which means they are out to cause you harm. And they're liars. See, Psalm 5 is, is not a psalm just for every day of the week. This is a psalm for when you have been falsely accused. We're not just talking about a misunderstanding, a disagreement, a personality clash with somebody that you don't really like. No. When someone is out to get you, they want you to suffer. They accuse you, they slander you, they lie about you so they can destroy you. That's Psalm 5. Now, sure, that may not be your experience. And if it's not your experience, then say a prayer of thankfulness to God and then get on with praying Psalm 5 on behalf of one of your brothers and sisters in Christ for whom this is their experience. Remember, the Psalms aren't just the prayers of individuals, but these are the prayers of our community, of our family. These are our common prayers. And often, when the prayers don't fit my experience, is an invitation to pray this prayer on behalf of another. There's an organization called Open Doors, which provides support for the persecuted church. And one of the services they provide is to to share the stories of the persecuted church, particularly with us here in the comfortable West. Listen to these words from one of our brothers in Christ, a pastor in South Asia. False charges have been filed against me. 
blaming me for converting people to Christianity using fraudulent means, blaming me for tricking people. They asked me questions like, where was I getting money from for converting people to Christianity? And when I said I never received any money, they would just slap me or kick me. I was in jail for four months. After I was released, proving our innocence took over three years in court. Meanwhile, my friends and I had no proper jobs. We were viewed as criminals by our community and no one wanted to associate with us. Would we pray for our brother and ask God for justice? And more than that, would we pray on behalf of our brother and others like him? Could we imagine ourselves into his situation? And if we could, then perhaps our prayers would have some of the same kind of fervent cries and tears that we hear here in Psalm 5. What tone do you hear in verses 1 and 2? Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament, Lord. Hear my cry, Lord. These aren't dispassionate observations in times of distress. Psalm 5 invites us to pray with loud cries and tears, which is to say, to pray as Jesus prayed. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, we're told during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. That's the first thing to keep in mind as you read these impassioned prayers like Psalm 5. It might make us feel a bit uncomfortable, but they're here in Scripture as the honest, raw prayers of God's people in times of distress. And these prayers remind us, they teach us that in prayer, God wants our hearts more than he needs our politeness. Second thing to keep in mind as we read Psalms like Psalm 5, and that is that prayers for justice are not the same as planning for personal revenge. Yeah? Difficult as verse 10 sounds, it prays, it doesn't plot. We see the same message in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Paul instructs Christians, do not take revenge. But when he says that, he is not speaking in opposition to Psalms like Psalm 5. He's not saying this because God no longer cares about justice. No, he's saying it because God is better at justice than we are. Don't you take revenge. Verse, 12, verse 19 continues, don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. 
For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, yes, it's true that in the light of Christ, then we can see more clearly God's plan to show mercy to all as he's shown mercy to us. And so, yes, our prayers for justice need to be accompanied by prayers for mercy and for salvation, even prayers for blessing upon those who oppose us. But the reason that we are able to pray like that is because we trust in the God of all justice who will do what's right. What I'm saying so far is the Psalms that ask for God's judgment on our enemies, these are prayers that we can always pray on behalf of brothers and sisters in Christ. We can call upon God to defend the innocent. We call upon God to come in judgment on all that is evil, even as we ask for mercy for ourselves, as well as mercy for those who oppose us. And then I'd say that there's one further dimension to how we could take Psalm 5 as our own prayer. And that's in light of Ephesians 6 and verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The truth is that we have an enemy and he's a liar. In John 8 verse 44, Jesus speaks of the devil and says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And you know, sometimes the devil speaks his lies through the human voices of enemies, who bring false accusations against God's people. Or perhaps your experience is like mine, where the devil speaks his lies through the voice of my own negative self-talk. Yeah? Anybody here have an inner critic? I don't have an inner critic. I have a chorus of inner critics. Yeah? Those voices are satanic in as much as they assail threaten our faith. Those messages, you're not good enough. You can't be forgiven. God doesn't listen. God doesn't care. And that's why I'm preaching Psalm 5 today. When I was invited by John, our vicar, to consider preaching uh, during January and to choose a, a psalm, I was up to Psalm 5 the next morning in my regular cycle through this glorious book. And as I meditated on these words that morning, I, I found in them a way to respond in prayer to being assaulted by my inner critics. Uh, I saw in here a kind of five-movement journey from lament to praise. And so I want to conclude by just sharing with you that journey. It starts in verses 1 to 3 with lament. 
In these verses, we see that lament isn't the same as just complaining or whinging. It's certainly not ranting. Verse 3, to lament is to lay my requests before God and to wait expectantly. Yes, to lay those requests before God with passionate expression of grief or sorrow, with loud cries and tears, but the key is that the journey towards praise begins with taking my grief and struggle to God because I trust his promise. In Christ, I know God cares for me. So I lay my requests, my anxieties before him. Then when I speak with God, I know that I'm speaking with someone who is on the side of truth. Verses four to six, they're the second movement. And I reject the false accusations of the evil one. In my wrestle with negative self-talk, I say before God, these things are not true. God, you don't welcome wickedness and evil. You detest the bloodthirsty and deceitful. God, you don't listen to these voices. Jesus, you don't hold my sin against me. You do not weigh our merits. You pardon our offenses. So step two is to reject the false accusations. And then in movement three, in place of the enemy's lies, I find mercy and grace in the house of the Lord. Verse seven, it both describes and then takes hold of gracious refuge. Do you see? That I can come into God's house, that's a statement of the truth. But to reverently bow down in worship is to claim that truth for myself and both are needed. I need to speak the truth of the gospel again to myself and not just to my head but to my heart and not just to my heart but but in my bones. So to bow down, to bow my head in worship and take hold of this gracious refuge in the house of the Lord. Verses 8 to 10 then is the fourth movement, which is repentance. Rejecting the lies of others also means rejecting those lies for myself as well and rejecting all of the ways that I have been complicit in the ways of the evil one. To see myself from God's perspective and to align myself again with his kingdom. As I read verse 8, I thought there's an unusual phrase there, this idea, lead me, Lord, because of my enemies. And I wondered for why because of my enemies? I think it's because liars are out to lead us astray. Whether they are violent accusers or your own inner critic, it's like there is a big flashing light saying, go this way. And so because their voice is so loud and so strong, I need the way of the Lord to be laid out clearly before me. Lord, lead me in your righteousness. Like picking out trail markers in the fog, Lord, would you make your way plain and clear and straight 
before me. And then finally, having journeyed through honest prayer, rejected accusations, gracious refuge, willing repentance, we come to the destination. Movement five in verses 11 and 12, to take hold of joy. Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. But notice this. These verses are still a prayer. This is a promise. It's not yet experience. We're not in, in, the, in the place of uh, Psalm 34, verse 6, full of the past tense. This poor man called and the Lord heard him and he saved him out of all his troubles. There is an experience of deliverance and so there is an exaltation in praise. But in Psalm 5, the experience has not yet come. But the promise is there. And the promise is strong. It's a promise of refuge, which is a secure place to escape to. It's a promise of protection that we might be defended and kept safe. It's a promise of blessing and favour. A promise of God's commitment to our good. God's promise to meet us with his life-giving smile. In lament, we lay our requests before God and we wait expectantly. And so lament is a process that takes us from the, the distress that we feel to take hold of the promise, to take hold of, to enter into the new reality that God has for us. This is prayer as a means of grace, prayer as a gift from God. Not just words about God to inform us, but words from God to use in, in, in return to God that would form us, that would shape us. As to people who are alive in the kingdom of Christ. In Revelation 21 verse 5, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. That is so much more than just a happy slogan that you'd slap on a meme with a picture of a sunset or a kitten. These are the words of our risen saviour. And in our prayer, we take hold of the newness of his kingdom by faith and in hope. So whatever your experience today or in the days to come, lay your requests before God with fervent cries and tears and then wait expectantly in the name of Christ. Amen.